message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, please visit trinitygracesa.org. Good morning. I want to welcome you once again to Trinity Grace. We are so glad that you're here, especially if you're a guest with us. If you have a copy of God's Word, you'll want to turn it to Psalm chapter 15. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 15 this morning, and as always, the passage is printed for you also in your worship folder. And kids, and also those that are kids at heart, I'd love for you to be listening for the following three things in the sermon this morning. First, be listening for what kind of psalm Psalm 15 is. How would you categorize this psalm? Second, be listening for a story about Michael Jordan, a story about Michael Jordan, And third, be listening for how it's possible for us to draw near to God. How is it possible for us to draw near to God? Well, this morning we're wrapping up our summer sermon series in the Psalms. And it's going to be our intention to come back to this book of Psalms again next summer as we continue to work our way through this important portion of God's Word. And the Psalms are important because they help us to see how our theology is meant to be synthesized and applied to our lives. The Psalms give us words to speak to God and to one another as we experience the joys and the sorrows of life. There is a psalm for any experience that you might run up against in life, whether it be joy or betrayal or lament or depression or thanksgiving or guilt and shame. And as we engage with the Psalms, they are actually meant to come and shape and form us into a certain kind of person. The kind of person who lives before the face of God while experiencing the full range of human emotion. And the experience we have when reading the Psalms can sometimes be similar, I think, to the experience that we have when singing songs here on Sunday morning. You know what I mean? Sometimes in worship, we are given words to sing that line up perfectly with our experience. Sometimes we're here on Sunday morning and we think, God put that song in the worship service just for me. But at other times, we might sing a song and not feel like it's true of us or our experience at all. But that doesn't mean that we don't want it to be true, right? It can be an invitation to embody the truth of that song until it does become true of our experience. Well, that idea is important to keep in mind as we read our psalm this morning. Psalm 15 is a wisdom psalm. And a good definition of wisdom would be skill in the art of godly living. Skill in the art of godly living. And it's something that we all desire to one degree or another, skill in the art of godly living. In this psalm, it paints a picture of the path that leads to godly living for you and me. A picture of what it looks like to draw near to God and walk with Him through this fallen world. And it's important to remember that the ones singing this psalm don't claim to always have the character qualities outlined in this psalm. But they do aspire to these qualities. They aspire to these qualities more and more for the benefit of the community. This psalm is a picture held out in front of God's people that they are meant to strive toward, that we're meant to aim at. And it's crucial to remember that God's people don't strive for these characteristics that we're about to read about in order to earn God's favor. No, that would be spiritual death. 
Instead, we strive for these characteristics because we already have God's favor. We want to experience a more vibrant relationship with God. And so with that in mind, what does wisdom, what does skill in the art of godly living look like? What should we be aiming for as those loved by God? Let's turn to Psalm 15 to find out. You follow along as I read beginning in verse 1. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and who does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Well, this is God's word and he gives it to us because he loves us and he wants us to know him. In 1992, a commercial from Gatorade hit the airwaves featuring arguably the best athlete in history, none other than Michael Jordan. And some of you will remember this commercial due to its playful nature and its catchy song. You remember the commercial? The commercial starts with kids playing basketball, they're laughing, they're drinking Gatorade, and they're singing, like Mike, if I could be like Mike, I want to be like Mike. Michael Jordan, by 1992, just eight years into his NBA career, he was a worldwide athletic sensation a role model for millions of people around the world. People wanted to play basketball like Mike. They wanted to dress like Mike. They wanted to be cool like Mike. They wanted to emulate Mike's competitive nature. And it's not unusual that we often look to role models, probably more than we're even willing to admit if we're honest. We all have a picture of someone in mind when we think of the good life, at least if you stop long enough to think about it. I mean, whether it be the good life financially or the good life vocationally or the good life in the home or the good life with regard to health, the good life when it comes to material possessions and resources, I mean, we tend to have role models in our lives that we believe are living the good life in any one of these given areas. And these role models, they can have a significant impact on what we think is important and on what kind of behavior we want to emulate. What investments should we make? What courses should we take to move ahead? What kind of backsplash does my kitchen need? Where should we vacation next? All of these things, we look to role models in order to kind of inform us on what we should be doing. Well, certain people and images can often play a disproportionate role in what we strive for in our lives. And while we're pretty good at crafting a picture of the good life or finding someone to follow at least when it comes to finances or career or family or health, I do wonder this morning what comes to mind when you envision the good life and what it looks like spiritually. What comes to mind when you envision the good life spiritually speaking? Do you have any role models in your life that are leading the way when it comes to what walking in faithfulness and vibrant relationship with the Lord might look like. 
Oftentimes, God puts people in our lives who are a bit further down the path than we are to show us what faithful living looks like. People who, like the Apostle Paul, can say, follow me as I follow Christ. Who give us a tangible picture of what a vibrant, connected relationship with the Lord looks like in very practical ways. And these kind of people, they're a gift from God in our lives. Because we need guides in our life. I mean, if left to ourselves with no models to follow, we are naturally prone to move in directions that lead to our hurt, that lead to our spiritual damage. And we're so used to seeing pictures in this world that are opposed to God's ways, that it's a gift to have positive pictures put before us as we think about walking in godliness. When you think of certain characteristics... Things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. When you think of those things, the fruit of the Spirit, who comes to mind? What does it look like to live a whole life? Who are you listening to for guidance when it comes to walking in faithfulness with God? Well, the author of Psalm 15 was King David. And in the scriptures, he is actually described as a man after God's own heart. Now, that sounds like a pretty encouraging description to me. Something that most of us in our best moments might want to hear said of us. That we were a person after God's own heart. But if you know anything of David's life, you know this certainly does not mean that he was perfect. I mean, he was far from perfect. We're talking about a man who was so preoccupied with his own comfort that he stayed back to enjoy the royal comforts while his army was engaged with enemies on the battlefield. We're talking about a man who committed adultery with his good friend's wife and then had that friend murdered by his army commander. We're talking about a father who refused to step in and lead his family and model for them what faithfulness looked like when they were going off the rails later in his life. I mean, it's pretty obvious from the life of David that being a man or a person after God's own heart does not require a morally spotless life. It's not a description that is achieved by your behavior, in other words, but it's achieved by your posture towards God, how you recognize your deep need, how you move into more dependence and more humility in life how you respond to God's love and grace toward you. It's all about relationship with God. And that's the idea we get in the very first verse of our psalm this morning. This psalm starts with a question. And some commentators think that this psalm might have been a kind of responsive reading like we do here on Sunday mornings between a priest and the worshipers where the priest asks a question and the worshiper responds with the answer that you find in Psalm 15. The question is, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? And if you're familiar with Old Testament vocabulary, you notice the relational dynamics at play in this verse almost immediately. Think of God's tent, likely referring to the traveling tabernacle where God resided in a special way amongst his people. And his holy hill would have been referring to Mount Zion, Jerusalem, the city where God decided to institute his home base in the center of a nation that he intended to bless. 
In the language of sojourning and dwelling, take on the idea of being invited in as a permanent guest. It's a relational language where you would live with someone, eat with them, and know them in a deep way. Come to my home. And when all that is taken into account, the first verse of our psalm is basically asking, who gets to experience God in a personal, intimate way? How can you walk with God in faithfulness in response to the love that God has already shown you? Well, that's really what this psalm is. It's a picture of faithfulness painted for us. In Psalm 15, it's not so much a detailed roadmap for us on how to live as much as it is a picture of what being near the Lord looks like. After all, relationship with God is the goal, right? We don't walk into this room thinking that God is a means to an end. God is the end in and of Himself. We don't get near to God in order to get what we really want. Nearness and relationship with God is the reward in and of itself. In this psalm, it gives us some very practical ways to live in faithfulness. What I'd say, to walk in freedom. And that's what God wants for his people. If you read the scriptures, he wants for us spiritual freedom. You see it from beginning to end of the Bible. And the language of freedom might seem strange when we're talking about moral characteristics. But if you understand what freedom really is, it makes complete sense. It's only under proper constraints that true freedom can really be experienced. You've heard this before. A fish out of water is not free. A fish out of water is dead, right? I mean, it's the proper constraint of water that gives the fish maximum freedom to be a fish. And in the same way, God offers us freedom if we would put on the proper constraints. If we would live according to our design if we would walk along the path of our creator that leads to his creatures flourishing, then you and I would be ultimately free. And so let's spend a few minutes looking at the answer that this psalm gives to the question, who can dwell with God? What does faithfulness, what does freedom look like? And before we jump in, we should be really clear. And I'd love if if you're tuned out already, tune back in right now. We need to be really clear with regard to what we're talking about this morning. If God feels distant in your life, if God feels dry, if you lack joy and vibrancy this morning, if you're one who has known the love of Jesus and desires to want to know him in an even deeper way, what would it look like for you to draw near to God? What might it look like to live out of your identity as a son and daughter of God? What is a person after God's own heart look like? How do we get the chance to experience this fullness of fellowship and freedom with God? That's what this psalm is answering, and it's a psalm that is addressing those who want to follow God. That's what I want us to hear. This psalm's audience is a group of people who desire to follow God. And as we explore its answer, you have got to remember that grace is opposed to merit. It's not opposed to effort. You cannot merit God's grace, but when you receive God's grace, it does not mean that you're not called to put forth effort in trying to follow Jesus. And we forget this to our own hurt all the time. Another way we might say it is that you are never more saved than you are right now if you've placed your faith in Jesus. You are perfectly justified. 
perfectly accepted in God's sight, but you can experience more of God's presence and love and joy in your life. And the way that you and I do that is by drawing near to God, by putting forth effort, which is a word that we don't always love as Reformed Christians, in getting to know God and to walk in His ways. This psalm is about godly living. It's not a psalm about justification. The author of the psalm, David, he's already justified, although he wouldn't have known that word in the Old Testament like we do in the New. He's already in right relationship with God, we might say. David already knows God's love. He's secure in God's acceptance. And now this psalm helps guide the justified person in paths of life and flourishing of holiness. And why should we be concerned about holy living, you might ask? Why be concerned with drawing near to God? Well, you can think about it in relation to yourself and in relation to others. When it comes to yourself, think about it. Don't you want more joy? Don't you want more security, more spiritual vibrancy, more spiritual power in your life? Well, this psalm, it paints a general path of what that might look like. And when it comes to others, your neighbor, a good question to ask is, what are you saved unto? What's the reason that God has saved you? Surely we experience personal benefit when it comes to our salvation, but we are not saved and then invited into a kind of holy huddle with other saints. God has always intended to use His people to bring blessing to the entire world, to those that don't know Him. We're saved by God and brought into relationship with Him so that we might live holy lives for the blessing of the world. Not for ourselves, but for our neighbor. In Psalm 15, what you see is six couplets that highlight what a faithful person looks like. And these six couplets, they're parallel lines. That's how Hebrew poetry works. Uses a lot of parallelism where one line is, uh, is stated and then the second line repeats it in different words. And it touches these six parallel lines. They touch on character, speech, Conduct, values, integrity, and use of money. And it likely goes without saying that the character qualities listed in this psalm, they are not all-inclusive. I mean, the moral law, which had upwards of six to 700 particular commands, the moral law is much grander than what we find in Psalm 15. The characteristics of this psalm seek to paint a broad, general picture of of the faithful person. In other words, Psalm 15, it's a representative list. It's not a comprehensive list of the marks of a person who walks with God. And so you see character highlighted in verse 2. Look at it. Where we read that a faithful person is one who walks blamelessly and does what is right. Now, blameless, it's a positive word in the Hebrew. It can also be translated whole or round in sound. It's depicting a morally well-rounded whole person, one who is the same no matter what, a person who does what is right no matter who's watching or what's to be gained or lost. You see speech highlighted in verses 2 and 3 where we read that a faithful person is one who speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue. The faithful are those who actively speak truth, They're trustworthy persons. We also see that a faithful person doesn't slander others. They avoid gossip. 
I mean, how many of us have experienced how gossip and slander can tear the church and relationships apart? Like James says in the New Testament, the tongue has the potential to set a forest fire. It's full of deadly poison. He says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. You see conduct highlighted at the end of verse 3, where we read that a faithful person is one who does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. In other words, a faithful person treats other people with respect, seeking to bless those in their life, to leave those that come into contact with you with the experience of spiritual refreshment. A faithful person is respectful, especially to those with less power and less influence than you, never talking down to others, never showing partiality. You see values highlighted in verse 4 where we read that a faithful person is one in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. A faithful person finds things that do damage to God and to other people offensive. One who pushes back on the ways of life that don't lead to universal flourishing or what the Hebrew calls shalom. One who seeks to model what a life of sacrifice looks like to a watching world. And a faithful person honors those who walk in the Lord's way. We look at those who are walking according to the Lord's way, who live as salt and light, and we encourage them in an increasingly corrupt and dark society. You see integrity highlighted at the end of verse 4, where we read that a faithful person is one who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Now, no one has a problem keeping their word when it's beneficial for them, right? But what about when circumstances or when landscapes change? You keep your word to your own hurt. That's what the psalmist is asking. And in doing this, if you think about it, we're being like God who continually makes promises to his people and he keeps those promises even when it hurts him, even when it's costly for him, which we see most clearly, of course, in the life and death of Jesus where God makes good on His promises, even at great expense to Himself. Those who follow God seek to emulate Him in this way, according to the psalmist. And lastly, you see the use of money highlighted in verse 5, where we read that a faithful person is one who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. This verse, it really is touching on greed. God's law talks about not making private loans at interest, specifically if it's intended to help another believer, another Israelite. Interest was, interesting enough, okay in the Old Testament when it came to foreigners. They could lend money out of interest to foreigners, just not fellow Israelites. And since the psalm doesn't make the recipient of the loan explicit, it might mean that this ideal person is going above and beyond what the law requires for all people when it comes to generosity. He's going at the ceiling of the law, not just the floor. Not asking, what's the least I can do? But he's asking, what's the most I can do to be generous to other people? On top of that, this person we notice is concerned for justice. After all, bribery is a matter of justice. It's impossible to see justice done when bribes are taken. 
So there you have a picture painted of what a faithful person looks like in Psalm 15. The matters listed in Psalm 15 are matters of character that go beyond what the law requires. They're also social in nature, if you think about it. Seeking to build others up. Contributing to the well-being of your neighbor. And a worthwhile question for you this morning would be, are these virtues developing in you? Is there a desire for the words of this psalm to characterize your life? Are you seeking to cultivate these characteristics? And if you are, it has got to be grace that fuels your desire for these virtues. Or they won't ever really take root in your life in any permanent way. We've got to remember that we do not earn God's love with our virtue. We respond to God's love with our virtue. We don't earn God's love with our obedience. We respond to God's love with our obedience. And if we respond in the ways outlined by Psalm 15, we will experience security, we'll have a foundation, and we'll experience more of God's comforting, peace-giving presence in our lives. I think it's safe to say that's what we all desire. So how should we apply this psalm to our lives today more specifically? How do we answer the question that we should all be asking when we listen to a sermon, so what? So what? Well, as I mentioned earlier, if you feel dry, if you feel distant, if you're suffering the consequences of your sinful decisions, even though no one else might be able to see it at this point, this wisdom psalm at least it at least invites you to ask yourself a simple question. Have you been drawing near to God through the normal means of grace? Have you been drawing near to God through the normal means of grace? And it might sound like such a simplistic question, I understand, but how often in our own lives do we lament the fact that we feel spiritually dry, that God feels distance, and then when someone comes up to us and asks, well, have you been praying? Have you been spending time with the Lord and His Word? Have you been engaged in community? When somebody asks me that question, when I feel spiritually dry, I'm surprised that they'd ask it. And I bristle at how they might tie those activities to feeling close to the Lord. Remember, you will never be more secure in Christ than you are right now as a believer, but your experience with Jesus can be so much more. And the way it becomes more is by engaging the normal means of grace that God has given for His people that have nourished them through the centuries of the Christian church. Things like prayer and Bible reading and community and sacrament and worship and service. Remember that grace is opposed to merit. It is not opposed to effort. The Christian life is hard work. It's hard work. And you and I, at least I know myself, I will not ever naturally drift towards staying close to the Lord and following His ways. That's not my natural default. I don't know about you. Drawing near to the Lord takes a lot of effort on our part. But it is worth it. And it's not only worth it for your own peace and your own joy, but also so that we might be agents of blessing to our friends and our neighbors. Psalm 15 is a picture of faithfulness and it highlights what faithfulness looks like and sounds like. And we need to hear Psalm 15, especially in our current Christian context where we grow so easily confused about what faithfulness looks like. 
Faithfulness isn't aggressive. Faithfulness is not hateful. Faithfulness is not looking to score points against an opposing team. Faithfulness looks like the fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness, patience, kindness, self-control. And the thing that we can offer our friends and our neighbors, the one thing that would bless them even though they might not know it or recognize it, is your own personal holiness. It's you keeping in step with the Spirit, as Paul would say in Galatians 5, after he lists those fruit of the Spirit. But we are a blessing when people get the chance to meet God through us. After all, in the New Testament, we're called the temple of the Holy Spirit now, in 1 Corinthians. Which means we are now the tent in which God dwells, the place where earth and heaven meet. The place where people can come in order to experience the Lord in His goodness, His love, and His grace. And so our calling, it's simple yet profound. I mean, it's to experience living contact with God and living contact with our neighbor. That's our calling. Our calling is to be close to the Lord and close to our friends and neighbors. Our calling is to draw near to God so that our joy and our humility and our peace might grow more full. That's not selfish. That's actually a gift that you can give to your spouse and your family and your friends and your neighbors. Because you're going to move back out and rub shoulders with them. Hopefully rubbing off on them, allowing them to experience God through you. Our calling is to increase our capacity for freedom and wholeness and then seek to be salt and light in a dark and decaying world. This psalm, it's not just personal in that it's meant to only affect our experience with the Lord. That would be selfish. It's also missional in how it sends us out to our neighbors to be a blessing as we walk closely with the Lord. As we consider this psalm and close this morning, it's always worth remembering that you and I get something that David did not as the author of this psalm. We get the blessing of reading the psalms through the lens of the New Testament. And as we do that, we find that the faithful man depicted in Psalm 15 finds his perfect fulfillment in the life and ministry of Jesus. And if you step back and think about it, Jesus is Psalm 15 in the flesh. Psalm 15 incarnate. David's greater son, the perfectly faithful man. Perfectly free man. And we can look at how Jesus walked this way. His perfection, his perfection, walking with the Father in lockstep. And it was that relational connection that gave Jesus the power to walk through this world of sin and evil and to stay true to his mission and to care for his neighbors as he loved them more than himself and and to suffer while remaining faithful, full of peace and security. It was his close connection with the Father, his drawing near that gave Jesus the ability to live for others, to be a blessing to any that he came into contact with. Jesus was truly, as one other would say, a man for others. He was a man for others who shows us what selfless sacrifice looks like even when it meant that keeping his promises would lead to his own hurt. And that is putting it extremely mildly. The truth of the matter is that none of us have walked the path laid out in Psalm 15. 
Every one of us has gone our own way like sheep we've strayed. There is none who seeks after righteousness. There is none who does good, according to Paul in the book of Romans. It doesn't take long to understand that we could never dwell with God. So he had to come and dwell with us. To tabernacle among us, to set up his tent in our midst, to make his tent with us, his home with us. Which takes us back to the original question. Who can live in God's home? Who can dwell in his midst? Well, the author of Hebrews tells us that we can if we've been cleansed by Jesus. Listen to what he says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. What an amazing invitation God extends to us when he invites us to draw near to him. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you that through your blood and through your perfect sacrifice, we are able to draw near to our Father, to the one who created us, to the one who has always loved us. And we pray that as we draw near to him, that we might experience more peace, more joy, more freedom, more spiritual power, so that we might experience that and then move out and share it with others so that you might use your church to bring blessing to the entire world. We pray that that would be the case as we seek to draw near to you. We thank you that you never push us away and pray that you would welcome us now in Christ's name. Amen.